Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 139, BHA Armed Forces Initiative, with Justin Spruill. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is joined by Justin Spruill of the Armed Forces Initiative of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Justin is a volunteer who dedicates his time towards his passion for the outdoors and being able to explore the amazing landscapes of our public lands. Not only are the lands important, but Justin shares his passion for wild harvests becoming amazing table fare. He gives details on an incredible dish for ducks. One heck of a great conversation on this episode of Huntable. Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. I tell you, it's it's abnormal. I don't want to say abnormal, but it's warm. Ground is not frozen. Uh, here we are. By the time this episode drops, it'll be it'll be Thursday, and it'll be oh maybe a week and a half away from Christmas. I think that's how people are always thinking Christmas is going to be this frozen uh, winter wonderland. At least that's what we hope for. Definitely doesn't turn out all the time like that. Usually ends up being a muddy mess. And uh, yeah, a great opportunity though for sportsmen and for anglers. Well, I shouldn't say anglers, uh, just because the water is going to be super cold uh, without any ice. But at the same time, small game is going to be rip firing here. Uh, we've got late season deer uh, kicking up on us. We just finished up with muzzleloader. So, yeah, we're putting the orange away. If guys wanted to get their arrows out, uh, get the bows back out, this is the time to do it. Uh, I think I'm also going to drop it uh, officially now. I am done for the season. I'm not going to partake in late season deer hunting. I know. I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry, but uh, I've got my, I got my two that I took with one with a bow, the buck that I got, and then I got my doe on Thanksgiving with a firearm. Uh, I got my bonus deer from the roadside. Uh, she's been all cut up, and so salvage season is definitely underway here in Michigan. Anything you can find in the ditches that's been a fresh kill is always up for game. Uh, but as far as me pursuing uh, venison, I think my year is complete. Uh, does feel a little light this year, but that's going to be okay. Um, I've got plenty still left in the freezer from last year. And, uh, you know, I want to get after that stuff before the freezer burn starts to take over. So we're definitely going to be putting up a lot when it comes to either some uh, some shredded that I do barbacoa style or just some shredded venny, And then uh, banking a lot of that stuff into ground. My boys are eating. They're getting big. They're getting big. So we want to make sure that we keep them full of venison here this winter. But anyway, that's enough about me. We're going to get into the reason why we are here. Um, For most of us, we love to escape to the outdoors. We want to get away from lights, noise, people, and distractions. I would even say it's not even just a want to escape, but it is an absolute need to escape. Today I get to join a conservation... I get to join... Uh, conservation with uh, with a gentleman here who finds the outdoors as a place to heal, find meaning, and recover from intense trauma. These these folks use our public lands as a place as a new mission. 
I'm joined by Justin Spruill. He's of the Backcountry and Hunters, or Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and it's of the Armed Forces Initiative. Justin, thank you so much for hopping on the show this afternoon. Tell me just a little bit how how is your season going out there in Washington proper, way out west? What are things looking like for you? What have you been able to bag this season? Oh, this is a. I, I'll start this out with I am a very terrible big game hunter. Uh, I originally come from Texas, and so I'm used to a very specific. You sit in the field, you shoot the whitetail that's been coming in. You've been watching them all all year. Uh, so this has been a very different game for me. I've been here for about ten years, and still uh, am just a bad big game hunter, which is okay because I spend most of my time. Uh, doing small game. Uh, I got into duck hunting a couple of years ago, and I can't stop. I usually, every weekend is a duck hunt. Most day, like once this season rolls around, I take off random days during the week. Um, sea ducks. We just kind of have we kind of have everything here. You can get a lot of species here in Washington. So, uh, if I'm not hunting a wildlife refuge, I'm hunting up north dry fields or I'm going out on sea duck on, on somebody's boat. And so, uh, my duck season has been going great. Um, but the, uh, hey, the freezer, right. as far as, as game me as big game meets, uh, you know, kind of going down, I had a great pheasant season, um, getting to connect with some people. And so, uh, yeah, my, my small game's going great. The big game. Uh, I keep just ignoring myself. I actually, over the Thanksgiving break, uh, I run a pheasant mentorship program to connect service members to dog handlers uh, here on base. And so somebody wanted to hunt with me on Friday. And I was like, all right, great. I'll go in uh, Black Friday. I'll go hunt with you. And I walk out my door, and there is a herd of elk surrounding my deer stand. And I'm like, well, that's about the way my my world works. And so I, <laughs> I hop in the truck and, and just expect to never see them again. Uh, so... Uh, you know, get my one one or two pheasants. I think I got two that day, and then uh, back home. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's the way my my luck works. Uh, I've got another ten days left in uh in the deer season. So at some point I'll crawl into the stand, but uh, I've started focusing on trapping now. So now I'm I've got that in my way. <laughs> gotcha. Well, hey, you know what? To be a small game connoisseur. It's definitely opportunity over quantity at that point. If you've got a chance to go out and slay a bunch of geese, um, that's that's where it's at. I I will I will give it to you that each person has their specialty, so it's fun to find someone who really dives into the the birding um, and the the waterfall and the upland. You said you got two pheasants uh, on that trip. I I've been on one pheasant hunt. And I tell you what, I I had a blast, no pun intended, um, just walking a field. It's far different than, say, the deer woods. We do, I mean, traditionally here in Michigan, you can get folks that will do a deer drive, and so it becomes a social event. But that's a big piece of, I think, what's missing from that big game to small game aspect is that small game uh, working together, having everybody join in have have a chance to talk have a meeting before like there's something social that i think is missing off the big game where small game really takes advantage of that absolutely and i think one of my favorite things you know somebody asked me about uh 
I was at a trapper's workshop this weekend and somebody was kind of talking to me about sea duck hunting and how much I love it. And I was like, really, my favorite thing is the fact that I don't have to be quiet. I don't have to sit still. I will bring, usually we try to bring a new hunter with this and we'll set the new hunter in the middle and me and my friend sit on the side and we drink coffee and I'm going to pull up and shoot the bird that I feel like shooting. Uh, other than that, you know, um, just hang out and and shoot the crap with your friends. Like, that's what I enjoy about, it's that social aspect with the small game hunting. You get a little bit more of that um, than you do with the big game. You know, I can go sit in my tree stand by myself all I want, but, uh, you know, it's not quite the same as, you know, getting to watch the sun come up with your friends and, and find out what's going on with their life. We jumped in right on this conversation talking about season. Justin, We've had you on, like I mentioned, you're from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. You're part of the Armed Forces Initiative. Tell me more about what your role is in this organization. Tell me a little bit about what uh, what the Armed Forces Initiative does currently. Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess I'll start. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, that's a grassroots organization dedicated to public lands and waters. There's lots of organizations out there that like get specifically into one species, whether it's Pheasants Forever, uh, you know, some are into ducks, some are, you know, there wasn't one that was dedicated just to the land. And so that's what this organization was created by. And so what they did is you know, in 2018, they did a membership survey, as most organizations do, to kind of see who the, who their organization's made up of. And what they found was about 12% of the organization was made up of either mili- like current military or former military. And the national average is around 6%. So somehow we've got double the amount of military members that are wanting to get involved in the outdoors, wanting to be involved in public land. So they start looking and... Turns out that number was a little bit higher than the 12%. And then turns out not only was that happening, but most of our state boards and a lot of our leaders were from the military community. We even had the organization itself was founded by members of the military. We had members of the military on our on our national board. And so they were like, well, we did this on accident. What do we do if we cultivate it and if we tried? And so... Uh, that's what they did. They, they decided to create a pilot program that specifically targeted our military community and how to get them into the outdoors and how to get them involved in conservation. So kind of that gateway ramp, not just into going out hunting and taking them out on a trip or two, but how do you get them that lifetime of trips? How do you get them involved in conservation? How do you get them speaking at Congress? How do you get them you know, involved? And so that's where this came from. So what we do as the Armed Forces Initiative we service uh, active duty, reserves, National Guard, veterans, and Gold Star families. And we do, whether it's trips into the outdoors, so we've got hunting and fishing trips, we've got how-to trips, we do um, policy work, we do uh, stewardship events in order to give you that community within the military. So, you know, get more with like-minded people that are in the same situation as you. Maybe have seen what you've done. Get a little bit of therapy. Get a little bit. See how you can heal in the outdoors. And then give you that place to care about and give you a way to care about and to do something about it. So that's really uh, what this is, is, you know, we kind of see it as uh, adjunct outdoor therapy, meaning it's therapy that's outside, not with a therapist. Uh, but basically, you feel better outside. Everybody already knows it, but we're giving you a reason. We're giving you something to do. And then because we do it all on public lands 
and we try to focus on that teaching aspect, uh, we want to give you that that healing over and over and over again. And that's what we do is we, we get you healing, we get you connected and we get you involved and I give you a bigger mission uh, than yourself that you, you know, you were used to in that military. I'm not going to lie. I am someone who doesn't have a lot of trauma in my life. Uh, if I do, it's self-induced <laughs> that I have done it to myself. <laughs> this year I noted or noticed myself. I, I went on more morning hunts this year, uh, more morning hunts than I've had in any other year. Normally, the morning was always one of those like I was, I was intimidated on the darkness and I couldn't figure out where I was going efficiently. I would get hung up. I would get frustrated. Like working with my uh, equipment in the dark, it was something I didn't. I didn't appreciate. I liked the evening where I could go set that up and then have a plan of like how I'm going to get this stuff down in the dark and then be able to basically go home in the dark. But this year there was a big shift and I think it was because my three boys are getting older. My three boys are getting louder, but my three boys like to sleep in. And so even though it's like a little sliver of therapy, I tell you what, drinking coffee 20 free 20 feet in the air is by far the best little piece of heaven that I have had in a long time that the only thing chattering at me and wanting my attention or needing me to react is the squirrel 20 yards away that happened to pick me out and is now you know barking at me like that was the only thing and so now Morning hunts has become my thing, my oasis, my escape. Uh, before anybody gets up in the house, I'm already out of the door. And then I show up about, you know, 11, 11.30. And then I jump back and I, I think I'm a better dad because of it. Is that kind of where you're taking people with actual heavy duty trauma? And this is, like you said, like an adjunct therapy, but just giving them a place to escape with people who have been there, who have done that, whether it's their hunting as a group or whether they've been on this mentorship or it's just even like you've put together a program hunt that, hey, everybody's getting a chance to go out. Like this is their opportunity to really, as much as we call it an adjunct therapy, but this is their chance to just decompress, get away, and maybe figure a few things out within themselves. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's one of those things you talk about. Like, that's one of my favorite parts of it. I am an early morning person. Uh, whether it's fishing, whether it's hunting, I do the early because uh, my, my whole family, I got two boys and the wife, they all sleep in. And so I can usually sneak out, you know, if we're traveling somewhere where I want to fish, I can usually get out at 5 a.m. and fish real early. And just about the time the fish really start biting, I can get out of there and make it home in time for them to have breakfast and everything. And so... I'm used to that. I love waking up with the woods, waking up with that quiet. And so, you know, for me, I found, you know, what happens is I kind of want to have a reason for it. Uh, you know, there, there's so many that talk about, oh, you know, they're, getting outside just makes people feel better. You should go for those mental health walks, go for those hikes. And it's hard when you've got all the other stressors and things and responsibilities in your life, you know, you come back and, you know, for me, you know, when I got out, I had missed over half of my oldest son's life. Um, and I had missed all of my youngest ones, um, at the time that I was out. And so, you know, it's one of those, well, I, Hey, I can't, if I go out and just go walk like that's, it feels selfish. 
it feels like, yes, I know I feel better. Yes, I'm going to be, I'm going to come back, you know, talk, just like you said, be a better dad, all of that, be more present. However, I don't have a reason for it. And what's really nice is that the hunting and fishing gives you a reason and gives you an excuse. You know, it, it makes it to where it's not just about you feeling better. It's you can tell yourself, I'm going here for a purpose. And that's one of the big things, you know, in that military community, we're, we're so used to having a purpose. You know, we, if we were going to go walk and go, go on a ruck, you know, it was for a reason. It's so you can improve your mental, your physical fitness. You're going to go on a ruck because you've got to go on this patrol because this is what you're going to be doing. Um, this is what you are doing. You know, you're out there being alert, walking with this heavy pack on your back. That's just what you do. Um, and so to go back into it, that's one of the things, you know, you want to, it's, it's just gives us a reason. And, you know, whether it's the early morning, whether it's an afternoon, uh, you know, bird hunt, you know, whatever it is, giving them a reason gives them an excuse to get outdoors. And now we've kind of given them, again, that purpose, that repurpose, like, hey, you can feed your family. It's not selfish for you to go out there, you know, and yes, you're going to now you can you can tell yourself, oh, I'm here because it's, it, you know, it's going to make me feel better. I enjoy it, but I have a reason to do it. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I have two very close friends. Um, I'm not, I, yeah, I'll have to get into this with you, but they're, um, my two close friends were both Marines. Um, they both, the one served in Afghanistan, one served in Iraq. And uh, now when we do things, the one I go, we've gotten into mountain biking together as something that we go, go out and do. And when we go do that, you are, you're hitting the nail on the head that he needs a purpose. He wants to get from A to B as quickly as he can and he will blow us in the dust like i'm still chugging up the hill trying to get up there and he'll wait for us for maybe a couple minutes but then boom he's gone because he's got an agenda that he has already put in his head and he's already gone to do the other buddy uh yeah we it's funny when we go track a deer that somebody has shot we don't call him till later uh he's not the he's not the quietest person in the world he's very He's very much loud. <laughs> he just trounces through things. But man, if when he grabs a hold of that hoof, he'll drag that sucker by himself if he needs to. He's a wealth of strength. He's just an ox. But it's like, yeah, if it needs to be quiet, if it needs to be, uh, you know, you're still not sure if the animal's down yet. Yeah, we, we don't call him in quite yet. <laughs> we we wait till we get the drag out. Before we call, call him in. But that's but yeah, a, there's that's something to it. They're all very mission oriented. And so giving them that mission that you can put them into of this is what you need to do. Um, here it is. You know, we, we did a, uh, a pheasant camp. You talked about that drive. You know, we pulled up what all the fields looked like. So we had overviews of all the fields and we're, we're doing, hey, this is the way the drive is going to go. Here's how we're going to pivot. Here's how everybody's going to move. And, you know, just making it look like the maneuvers and everybody's familiar with it. Um, and it's just, hey, this is the mission. Here's your objective. Here's where you're going to turn. We're going to, you know, go here and then it's over. Um, and it's just, yeah, the whole, all, you know, that's just kind of ingrained across all the branches, you know, you tell them this is what the mission is. This is the goal. You know, hey, that goal is, you know, if y'all are out biking, you know, the goal is, <laughs> is point B. All right, great. I'm going to go to point B. Like that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. The goal is to get this deer out of here. Yep. I'm going to get this deer out of here. Like, I don't care. Probably doesn't care how tired he gets. Doesn't care. It's boom. It's going to yep. get out of there. That's his, that's his mission. So he's going to make it happen. <laughs> 
yeah, we have yeah, we would I guess we would make them alpha team and then uh I don't even think we would be beta. We would be like omega team. Uh me and the other guy that are drinking beer like listen, we'll we'll get there when we get there. We're more of specialists and we'll just <laughs> arrive when we need to arrive. Um but that sense of purpose like not only on a scale of in an idea of an organization like BHA where yeah, you're trying to connect them with the outdoors. BHA is very much, we want to now not just be included in the outdoors, but we want to be the conversation. We want to be the game changers. We want to be the movers and the shakers. We want to have those boots on the ground changing how our public lands look. We want to take care of those uh, parking areas. We want to pull trash out of everywhere we need. Um, I don't think I've seen a lot of it here in Michigan. I mean, we've seen a lot of like river cleanup, um, but out west pulling fences and uh clearing up access for use of those lands is the armed forces initiative also looking at that point too like man what a sense of a mission like hey we got to go wrap up this uh section of public lands we got to get access to it we need to remove this fence or we need to clean up this waterway is that also a place where the initiative has been able to use that mission-driven uh, focus of our servicemen? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been really good. We've been seeing stuff. That was kind of the part of the goal here is, you know, BHA's got these these little fence poles and that sort of thing planned. Well, hey, let's get the military out there. Let's get, you know, there's National Guard units everywhere. So one of our most recent events that we did here at the Washington AFI is we did what we call the garbage and grouse. So we show up to a, a public shooting range, we clean up a shooting range, and then we go grouse hunting afterwards. Uh, so this was our second year doing it, and we brought an entire National Guard unit in. They said, great, we'll be there. Uh, they happened to have a drill weekend and nothing going on. So they were like, great, let's give back. It's in our backyard. Uh, we had a unit in New York show up to a, a, a uh, cleanup. Great, they were there bunch of officers i think we're doing an officer's course bring them up um and then we recently did a fence pull near the yellowstone national park um for and the farmer was so grateful invited all of our people back to antelope hunt if they ever drove drew the tag which is oh, great because awesome. it gave them here's some access here's some ways to get on some public land we're protecting the the antelope but yeah we do all kinds of you know we helped out our first year um we did a um, Bob Marshall wilderness cleanup. So we went out with the Bob Marshall Wilderness Foundation and went in on horseback. Uh, Hal Herring wrote a paper for that on uh, an outdoor life, and so you can read all about it. But yeah, we went into the we went into the backcountry, into the wilderness areas, and you know did trail cleanup and got it ready for the season before anybody else could get back there. Um, you know, and that's just a great use. And really, the military's been used for our public lands. For a very long time, uh, the very first enforcement officers into the Yellowstone was the Army. So if you read the history of Yellowstone, there was so much poaching, so many issues there. And finally, they just decided, like, let's send the Army down there. And so the, the Army became the ones who were stalking the lakes, stopping the poachers, bringing in bison. You know, it was the Army who brought in bison to bring that, that population back. It was down to 23 bison. And the army's oh, the one who wow. brought in more bison and brought them in to, to get them back. Uh, you've got all of your different trails. You know, you look at um, Hawaii, some of those trails that, that have been there on some of those national areas. 
Those are all done by the Army. So there's a very long history of the Army maintaining our public lands and waters and the military just being out there, taking care of it, being the tools of our nation uh, to build the trails, to maintain them, and to get everything going. So, yeah, there's a, just a long-standing history. And really, like, you know, we tell our people at our, at our courses, these lands, you know, the, the federal ones are locked into the Constitution. They're part of the property clause. So all of us raised our right hand. We swore to defend the Constitution. And when we did that, we swore to defend public lands. We let them know, whether you know it or not, you swore to defend these lands that belong to all of us. And, you know, hey, you've you've fought for them. You know, you've, you've given up your freedoms for them. These are yours. Come use them. Come protect them. Uh, and that puts a sense of ownership. And then you find that once we've got that ownership of, hey, you can go you can go recreate here. You can go camp here. You can go hunt here. You can take your family here. Now they have a reason to care about it. And now they're going to come out. Now they're going to come give give up their time, give up their opening day of, of deer season to show up and clean up this, this shooting pitch so everybody can come out and do it later. Um, and, you know, that sense of that sense of community, that sense of purpose uh, always rings true. And they've got a mission. We, we start in the morning telling them, hey, this is what's got to get done. There's no arguments. There's no fighting in it. Everybody just kind of listens to whoever's in charge. And, you know, that all those things of, you know, that you learned in the military, you know, that chain of command and everything just works because, you know, everybody listens. They all work together. We know we have one mission. We know we're not going to get out of here until it's done, uh, you know. And so, yeah, the missions just get accomplished. Uh, and so BHA has really been able to leverage that. And we're looking to do more in 2024. We actually have asked every single one of our chapters uh, within AFI, which is, I think, 46 state liaisons and 23 active duty installations. We've asked every single one of them to do at least one conservation event. So we should be seeing just out of the military community, you know, somewhere in the range of 60 to 70 conservation events on top of all the ones that BHA normally does. Dry aged steaks used to be a steakhouse only indulgence. An old world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy to follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. 
Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. To kind of turn this a little bit too, Justin, tell me a little bit about your experience. Like, where, did, like, which branch did you serve in? And, and I think you told us a little bit earlier, like, 2011 to 2018, where you were in, you were in active service. Talk a little bit about how personally your involvement now, being back home, and now working for BHA. How has that been? How's that been helpful for you as you've been, again, probably trying to look for that mission? Yeah, this is a job, but are you finding meaning in this job as you're also helping out other fellow servicemen? Well, and I'll even start out. Uh, this isn't even my job. Uh, I am a volunteer. Uh, all We only have one paid oh person on the military side. Um, so of all these liaisons and all these people on our board, uh, all of us volunteer our time. Um, we do this because we love it, because we believe in the mission, we believe in the organization, we believe in what we're doing and helping others. So, uh, you know, I'll even start with that, that, you know, hey, I, I believe it so much. I spend a ton of time doing this, um, but it's because I love it and I love what we've done. But, uh, you know, I can kind of get into my service a little bit. I started, uh, joined the military in 2011. Uh, basically, I dropped out of college, was in a small town in Texas and realized I wasn't going anywhere and wanted to see the world. So, uh, went down to the recruiting station. They shipped me off, um, and you know, went through basic training. Uh, was a military police officer, and I went. My first duty station was Germany, and so I wanted to see the world. What better way than to go into Europe? You know, from small town, never would have really thought I was ever going to do that. And you know, I really started out my first year there. I kind of did the single soldier thing. Um, you know, so I was seeing my wife. We were doing the long distance, and so I was going. Going to the bars with my friends, I was partying, I was just getting drunk on the weekends. That's kind of what I did. It's kind of what most service members did. Wife came over, calmed down a little bit, but what happened for me is um, I'd gone over there. I was on patrol one night, and one uh, somebody I knew uh, got a call to go to their house off base, uh, and they were trying to unalive themselves. Um, they were having an... an a PTSD alcohol induced episode. I'm the one who got the call. Um, so I show up on patrol, talk them down, talking with them, get them over to the hospital, get them the help they need. You know, and the next time I see them, they worked at the outdoor recreation center. I'm on a small little base. It's three miles around all the way around and um, get to go see him. And, and he starts getting back into fly fishing and he opens up and says, Hey, I've got a fly tying class. You want to come do it? I had nothing going on. Like, sure, grab a couple of friends. Let's go learn how to tie flies. I've never, never fly fished before. Sure, I'll learn how to tie. Next thing I know, he's teaching me how to cast. And I'm working with him. He's, you know, quit drinking. Um, This became his recovery was going fishing and using the outdoors in Germany. So he's taking me out teaching me how to access the river systems. Um, you know, I took took my course in Germany to go fishing. Um, and then I we used it to start inviting more service members out. So we were bringing as many people as I could. If I met them, I taught them, like, hey, come out here. Come take this class. Come, come go fishing with me. And then we used it to remove invasive species. So we would go fishing to remove rainbow trout. We were on these small rivers that they were like, hey, the Germans said, kill every single rainbow, put every brown trout back. 
So that's what we're doing. We're fly fishing. You catch a rainbow, you bonk it on the head, you throw it in, up on the bank, uh, let the herons eat it, because we're trying to remove them from the system. Then I learn about this other river system that has crawfish stuck in it. They accidentally released signal crawfish from Washington, and they exploded. And so I'm teaching people how to make crawfish traps out of fans um, that we'd find at the dump. So we'd go by at the dump every single night on patrol and try to find those cages from the, the fans that go on the floor and filling them with badger guts or whatever else we could get from the local hunters. Catching all the crawfish we could, dropping them off in our patrol vehicles, coming back and then picking them up in our personal vehicles, and having a crawfish boil. Um, and so removing the invasive species is kind of what got me involved and got me doing something positive. Um, uh, while I was there, I had a ton of fun. Um, I got to explore Europe, which was something that, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I, I almost felt like I wasted my first year because that second year I went horseback riding through the Italian Alps. I went fly fishing in the Austrian Alps. I, you know, I, I went everywhere throughout Europe. I, I ended up catching fish in five different countries and then came here to Washington. And, you know, kind of the same thing. I got into the fishing and, you know, I got behind some good dogs to kind of work some, some pheasant hunting and really enjoyed it. And, you know, then I went, you know, tried to get as many people involved as possible. And I went to Korea and, you know, same thing. I, I took all my fishing gear there and got out and went fishing. I was catching Korean river tarpon and there's some amazing bass fishing because bass fishing was really big in the seventies in Korea. And so they released largemouth bass all over the country. And so you get out there and you're just fishing for bass and, you know, and and catching carp and everything else and bringing these, these service members with me. And when I get out, you know, I, I realized one, like how lucky I was. And then talking to some people like, Hey, some people would move, and you, if you don't have that person to connect with when you move, you're not going to get out. And so I get out, and I come back, and I, I decide to stay in Washington. I, I didn't want to be too far from public land, so I didn't go back to Texas. There was no way I'm going back. Texas is too far from Montana for me. So um, this is where you know we decided to stay. And I'm outside of the base, and you know every now and then we would see these posts get on of... Hey, I'm new to the area. I want to go hunting. Can somebody take me out? Where can I go? How can I do X, Y, and Z? And they would either get crickets or they would just get blasted on social media. And so, you know, I took it upon myself. I had somebody who starts talking and he's like, I'm a new hunter. I want to get into it. You know, and basically people are like, ah, oh, you know, don't hunt in this state anyways and read the regs. And, and finally I messaged him. I was like, hey, you know, why don't you come on a bear hunt with me? Again, not a great, not not a great big game hunter, but I was like, I know where there's a bear. I'm gonna go hunt this one specific one. You can come with me. I don't care if I if I get this bear or not. I I want to wake up in the woods, so I'm gonna go. You know, here it is. Come with me. We're gonna go out here and took him on a bear hunt. Person had an amazing time. You know, then I took a couple more out, and uh, you know, I stayed in touch with them. Uh, and really, waterfowl season rolls around. And there's a lot of organizations that take veterans out on basically one-time, essentially guided hunts. And there's two guided hunts come up available on the same weekend. I can't go, and I send two of the people that I'm working with to go. One goes up north, one goes down south, and the one who went up north calls me after he's done it. I went, not a hunter. Oh my gosh, I had the most amazing time. I love it. I went and bought a shotgun. I bought waders. I bought decoys. I bought a call. When can we go duck hunting? 
at which time I had to let him know that I don't duck hunt. And the next person calls me, and same thing. It's like, yeah, great. Where where can I go now? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't duck hunt. Like, I I mean, it's available. There's ducks, you know. Um, and I realized very quickly that if I didn't go take them out uh, again, they we we created a hunter, and now we're gonna lose them. Um, yeah. And so you know, I I mentored four people throughout that season, uh, just duck hunting. And so we went duck hunting, goose hunting, met a lot of good friends, you know, got onto different leases, tried some public land, you know, went out on kayaks, all kinds of stuff, whatever we could figure out. And that next year I was like, man, I really got to figure out a way to expand what I'm doing because I really enjoyed it. It gave back, you know, it allowed me an opportunity to get outside. It allowed me a chance to share public lands because I got very into just public lands. I, I, I loved them. I, being from Texas, I never had them. And so when I kind of learned that I could just go out and hunt and fish and camp in these areas, blew my mind. And so I wanted everybody to understand like, hey, when you get stationed here at Fort Lewis, like there's a lot of opportunities for you and you don't have to give up hunting. You don't have to sell all of your guns. Like you, you can go, you can get them here and you can just go out and there's sections of land that you can just walk out onto and there are deer and elk and bear and cougar and everything else for you. And so this was uh, 2020. So 2021, I had a really good year. Uh, basically, I, I told myself I'm going to find an organization to work with. And I had a year where I just did everything. I went blacktail hunting here in Washington out on the coast. And I went turkey hunting in Idaho. And I went salmon fishing in Alaska. And, um, you know, I just did a lot of events. And finally, the one that, that stuck with me is I went fly fishing on the Yellowstone River with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Armed Forces Initiative. It was their second event. Um, I was lucky enough to be chosen. It was around my birthday. My wife was like, just go. Uh, you know, tickets were cheap for me to fly over there. And so went over and got to meet everybody. It was a dozen of us. And, you know, what really struck me was not just, hey, I'm taking you out on this trip. They broke it down from the very beginning. You know, they had brand new fly fishers. So we started out with casting lessons, then an entomology class. Then we went into a fly shop to learn how to talk to a fly, you know, to, to a fly shop. We went and wade fished in different, two different areas. That way they learned about access. Like I'd been, I'd been going to Montana two to three times a year already just to go fly fishing. And so kind of knew it, but it was great to see like, Hey, they've got this model. And then we got to be some guided, two days of guided uh, fishing on the Yellowstone, which was my absolute dream. Uh, and I still got to go back. My bucket list is to catch a cut Yellowstone cutthroat on the Yellowstone. I cut a massive oh, brown trout, and everybody's like, that's the trip, fish of the trip. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not my goal. I, I'd rather catch a six-inch cutthroat, but, you know, here's this 20-inch yep. brown, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Yeah, you know, uh, just an absolute great trip. And then not only did we just get those two days guided, but we actually had to work the sticks ourselves. Um, so we got a chance to row the guides around and learn how to work a rowboat on this iconic river. And I was like, well, this is the organization for me. If this is what they're going to do is teach people how to get out here. Uh, I called them up and said, what do you need me to do? Um, I was like, I'm, I'm here for it. And so uh, they asked me to join the national board. Uh, I started out doing policy work. Uh, my degree is in fish and wildlife management. And so it seemed like a natural fit. Yeah. And after a little while, I noticed our social media was just, and this is so true in, so, in the hook and bullet space, is 
the traditional hook and bullet space, the social media is a little rough. We do a pretty terrible job of telling our story. You know, we can we can remember to snap some pictures at the end, but that story along the get go and and being able to tell the story the right way that shows the meaning to us uh, was lost. And I kind of noticed that with our social media. And so finally, I was like, look. I'm taking over. <laughs> Just here, give it to me. They gave me the passwords. Uh, and so that's kind of been it. I, I took over the social media and started focusing on our, our media. Uh, got more into photography. I had done a little bit of photography stuff with the Audubon Society and with some other um, wildlife organizations before. So I was like, I have a decent camera. And let's just make sure that we capture images um, at our camps. And so did a big push on that. And uh Rest has been history. You know, we, we've we've grown well, been able to tell the story. You know, we've had some, um, we've had some filmmakers come out with us. So we have right now we've got on our YouTube channel. You can find expanding boundaries, which shows us taking twelve people into the Boundary Water Canoe area. Um, we'll be having early twenty twenty four. We're going to have one come out about our recent Alaska caribou hunt. So, uh, you know, we've we've just been focusing a lot more on on getting the media and telling the story of what we're doing and of these veterans and getting them outside. And um, so, yeah, so there's everything all in company. I don't even remember the full story, but there it is. I was in the army from 2011 to 2018, um, got out and, and got, you know, pretty quickly got involved with this. Um, and this consumes as much of my time as I let it. <laughs> oh my goodness, Justin, that was an epic story. Beginning out with you in Germany, enjoying the Heffenweisens way too much at the bar, and basically having life come at you full force with uh, a fellow serviceman who was in a moment of need, and that, and that right there started you on your journey of fly fishing, and then to all the adventures that you went on. I will say, as I'm as I'm hearing the story here, I'm also hearing BHA, even though they took you on the fishing trip to have you catch a fish, they're the ones that hooked the lunker right now, Justin. You you have gotten they got a hold of you and you have been put to work, my friend. But at the same time, hearing you tell that story, just hearing uh, well, on the video here, seeing you light up, seeing just the way that you've been able to talk about the experiences you've had the different types of game you've been able to chase and just the knowledge that you have gained like has made such an impact on your life. And then you being able to share that with others, just like you said a little while ago, like we created this hunter. Now we need to cultivate it. Now we need to foster this new hunter as they get out. Where can they go? Well, where better than lands that belong to all of us? We all have stakes in that. What better place to take them that is belongs to all of us? So I am just so thankful that you were able to share that personal accord between you and our and our personal or our uh, public grounds. Yeah, and I would say it's not even that BHA caught me like they the military community has got so many people that especially when we get out, we just want to give and we want to give back. We're so used to a mission bigger than ourselves. And BHA just gave us the, gave us the, the vessel to do so. Um, you know, they gave me the, they caught me at the right time um, in the right way. And, you know, our liaisons and our volunteers 
are absolutely incredible. Some of the things that they're putting together, uh, I mean, I, I'm blown away. Like these opportunities wouldn't exist if it wasn't for everybody else that we have that's that's putting on the work. And as as soon as one of them hears it and gets involved, and they come to a camp. The next thing you know, they're they're running their own camp. The next thing you know, they're bringing out two people. They're sending us media. They're writing stories. They're putting in. Uh, you know, we I think we've had probably four or five of our um, camps have been written about in various magazines because you know they come through and they write it and like I'm gonna go send it off to. You know, I think we had Shooting Sportsmen and uh, Strung Magazine and Fly Fishing International. It's like great. Send them off. Like tell everyone how much fun you had and what an incredible journey you've had and we have such amazing talents in this military community and it's just a matter of finding the way to get them involved i'm also going to we're gonna we're gonna drop a bomb here you uh were alluding earlier as we were talking that that the armed forces initiative the afi is gonna make a big move here in 2024 now we're finishing up here in 2023 but there's going to be some big announcements here about some changes that are going on with the initiative are you able to open up a little bit about those yeah so this you know kind of talked about what started here is bha realized hey we we want to cultivate this the armed forces and we want to bring in see what happens if we try to bring in some of the military and we did not think that it was going to grow the way it did uh, you know, in 2021, we took out 18 veterans into a Montana mule deer camp. Or I guess that was 20, end of 2020. That's where it started with 18 veterans uh, uh, in a mule deer camp. And this last year, so in 2023, uh, we're going to be uh, over 2,000 people into the outdoors. So over 2,000 participants at our camps. Um, just during 2023 that's not counting the 1700 that we took out in 2022 that's not counting whatever we're going to do in 2024 um and we did not anticipate that growth uh this was a program this was supposed to be an initiative it was a trial they kind of got some money to pay for one hired person and they thought you know what great you know if he can get 60 new people to join in you know that'd be good and we did not see this growth and and the support that's been around this community has been incredible. And so what they found is, hey, we've been running this for a couple of years. This is no longer just an initiative. This is no longer just a small program. You know, this is off and running. So we're going to do a shift um, before our board was what we called an advisory board. And so each one of us had our own section that we were kind of supposed to be the experts in. Um, and we're supposed to help our coordinator basically run the everything, which he was run ragged. I think that one year he spent 260 days on the road. Um, oh, and we, we put him, yeah, we put him to work, uh, which was <laughs> incredible. And now because of this and how well everything's running, BHA said, well, you know what? I think it's time to start looking more like a regular chapter. And so we are now changing from an advisory board where, this staff member has all the power and we just kind of help guide and help out where we can and do what we can to help, help everything running. Uh, it's going to look more like a regular nonprofit chapter. And so we will have a chair, vice chair, secretary. Uh, we're in the middle of rec actively recruiting for that. So if anybody's uh, military gold star spouses out there listening to this, uh, 
follow AFI, go to our page. We actually have the top link in our uh, link tree uh, has how to apply and what we're looking for. And we're looking for talented people who want to give back, um, who've got want to give their time and their you know their talents to us. That's what we're looking for. And so we're gonna have this full board. Uh, still have all of our liaisons. Still have our installations that that we have going. But we're going to look a little bit more like a chapter. And so we're we're in a big shift right now to, yeah, no longer be a program, but be a full-fledged chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, which is incredible. Uh, it just shows, you know, how much this has grown, what this is like. And I think that we we just, we did way more with way less than anybody thought we ever could. Um, and you know, just thanks to everybody that that's, that's happened. So yeah, you'll get on, on there right now. Uh, I think we may have made one post about it, but yeah, we'll be actively recruiting uh, for 2024 to increase our board. And uh, we're going to shift from uh, going, we had, we had where we had one person who's in charge of our installations and one person that was in charge of our States and we're moving to an East West format. So it's going to look a little different, uh, but at the local levels, everything's going to look the same. Uh, you know, that's that's the big thing is we're trying to keep it as much the same as possible and be able to keep up with the growth because that's that's been the hardest part is we're just going to, we know that in 2024, you know, we took out 2,000 people in 2023. Who knows where we're going to go? Everybody's got a few events under their belt. So everybody's going to want to do a few. I know Washington last year, we did 16 events um, here. And I think our planning session, we started with 17 um, and there's like five that are like floating around of like, these would be great ideas. So, you know, it it's incredible to see how much everybody's doing. So, yeah, you will see it if anybody's listening and you want to get involved uh, right now is, is the perfect time uh, for, for you to reach out because we kind of we're going to need every position right now. Sounds good. Hey, you know what? Growing pains. Those are the fun things to have when you have way too many people wanting to jump in and help out. And then now you're just scrambling, trying to find a spot for everyone. That's that's the pains that you want right there. So, Justin, that's exciting. Um, I'll make sure in the show notes. So, folks, if you really want to check that out, I'll make sure to have the links uh, to the link tree or to uh, the Instagram here for BHA AFI. I'll make sure to have that on there so that, yeah, click those links to follow on onto uh, what you guys are doing at BHA so people can continue to be involved. I'll try to put those in there. Great. We appreciate it. That's awesome. Well, Justin, uh, I don't know if you know, but this is a uh, podcast that's all about uh, using that wild game, whether you got it on private land, whether you got it on our beautiful Everybody owns public land. What my podcast really focuses on is the after the shot. And so being able to bring back the wonderful game that you've been able to get into harvest, that beautiful, amazing protein is what really warms my heart. So I'm bringing you up with our last uh, last little crescendo here. This is the two-dish breakdown. The two-dish breakdown is where I'm going to give you uh, basically a scenario, and then I'm going to have you answer uh, how you're going to prepare a specific species or a specific dish uh, based on 
the, that criteria. Um, first one's easy. I like to give a softball uh, on the first one. So anyway, here's the soft pitch down the middle. What is a meat treat that you bring on an event or you bring that you're able to share? Are you a, are you a summer sausage guy or is it going to be uh, jerky that you're going to be bringing? Oh, man. And I will go while I do make both of those. Um, if you're at one of our events, I, I do like to cook. And so I'm going to bring... Every one of our events, if you're there and I'm I and I'm showing up to it, I'm showing up with more than likely I've got some wild boar bratwurst, and uh, I do actually have I I, <laughs> I have some sheep that my wife wants me to get rid of, and that's usually the uh, the hit for everybody. It's not wild; it's a domestic sheep, but I bring ground sheep because my wife we we processed three of them, and she doesn't like it, so it shows up to everyone. But um, with that. You're gonna get those those cheap burritos, but the brats. I've got this dish that I make. So if I ever have a cabin available to me, um, it's a one pan dish, thirty minutes. Basically, I cut up potatoes, apples, carrots, and usually like a parsnip or some other root vegetable. Mix all that together with olive oil, uh, honey from my bees because I also keep bees, and then uh, whatever whatever spices I have around. I'll slide all that onto a tray, lay the brats right on top, cook them for 30 minutes at 350. They come out perfect every single time, and that honey gets all over the apples. It gets all over the um, the brats, and so you just end up with this sweet, apple-y brats uh, that are absolutely amazing. So, yeah, if you show up to one of our camps, you're you're at least going to be fed. Uh, if you show up where, where I'm at, you know, you're going to be getting some of that uh, for sure. And then, of course, whatever we cook. But that's what I'm bringing. Uh, if I can, I'm, I'm probably going to bring one of those to any of our camps. That's awesome. Oh, just going with that hearty veg and the, the apples mixed with, yeah, homegrown honey. That is, that's a winner right there off, off some boar brats. Oh, that's a, that's a great one. You smoked it out of the park. That, but that was a softball. This one now, it's going to involve a little bit more detail. It's going to take some finesse. You mentioned you were a waterfowler. Um, we want we want a waterfowl dish. We want a waterfowl dish that's going to turn some heads and also really help with that that presentation punch. We want to make sure that that skin is crispy. How are you preparing duck or goose the way that you love to serve duck or goose? So the way I like it, and I. I actually like to eat the ducks that nobody likes. Uh, so I eat a lot of mergansers. I'll shoot a lot of sea ducks, the stuff that nobody likes. So those are the things that I want to really bring out. So I'm going to start out, though, with my favorite, which is going to be those duck poppers, those jalapeno poppers. I'm either going to use teal or widgeon or gadwall. Uh, I get a lot of widgeon, so widgeon end up in those jalapeno poppers. So ease people into the duck with here's something nice and familiar and it's good and then you hear bad things about uh about all your sea ducks and so i like sea duck bulgogi and that's probably my favorite so what i do is i actually cube it up um i'll take i'll skin it i don't let my ducks hang uh i take care of them i don't care if i get back and it's you know nine o'clock at night i'm taking care of those ducks before i get into the bed so i'm um, all my sea ducks, I'm taking all the skin off. I'm taking all the fat off. 
I'm going to have just a breast. I'm going to take the meat off the legs and thighs, and I'm going to dump it all into orange juice. And so it's going to soak in orange juice all night, and then I'm going to pull it out about an hour before, and I'm going to create a bulgogi sauce. And sometimes I get the store-bought, but if I can make it myself, uh, I'll make a, my own bulgogi. I put a little bit of my honey in there just because I've got so much of it. Uh, I have to use it for everything, so I put a little bit of honey in there. I'm going to let that marinate, and then uh, I'm going to just heat that up in the skillet, try to get you know medium rare. You don't want to overcook the duck. And then I'm going to serve it on top of rice with sesame seeds, uh, some green onion that's chopped. Uh, usually I'll roast some broccoli with it. But that's that's the dish um, that I get especially for people who, like, I'm not going to eat sea duck and I won't eat merganser and all that. You change their mind when you soak it in orange juice and when you turn it into that uh, that bulgogi, uh, which, of course, takes me back to Korea. It's one of my favorite Korean dishes. You know, we eat a lot of bulgogi. And so... Yeah, that's that's the dish uh, that is going to turn heads, especially for those that have heard anything about waterfowl hunting. They're going to be like, oh, this, there's no way. I'm never going to eat that. It's going to taste fishy. No, it's not. It's going to taste absolutely taste amazing, all. and you're going to love it. Oh, I'm already – I got a buddy who loves to goose hunt, but then he doesn't enjoy the goose um which at the same point i used to be like dude you need to utilize it you need to do it but then i realized he just gifted me the geese so i was like you know what? okay I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut i'll keep taking these things <laughs> yeah but orange orange that, goose that's that's orange my favorite goose sounds awesome that yeah. sounds like a great great dish that i need to partake in yeah we oh, uh, it's really good okay. because at, at right now we order big boxes of oranges from this little tiny farm in California. And so they only harp, they're only sending them at the peak of harvest. And so we order the box. And so when the box of oranges shows up, that's when the orange chicken or the orange duck and the orange goose starts. Um, so I'll go ahead. That way you've got the fresh zest because they, they pick them and throw them right in the box and ship them to your door. So fresh oranges, absolutely amazing zest. I'll fresh squeeze the orange juice to soak it in. I'll use that some of that orange juice for making the orange sauce. Um, but yeah, orange goose or orange. Uh, I started that one because of surf scoter. Cause that's another one that people don't want to eat, but I shoot a lot of them. So um, yeah, orange, orange, orange waterfowl. It's, it's good. I love it. Being in Korea, did you did you get into kimbap, the pre-cooked sushi scene? Did you get into that at all? No, I didn't. Um, not really. Uh, one thing that I did get into uh, was the ramen. That was another interesting one where oh, okay. they had a little ramen shop outside. And I, you know, and I was used to like I was used to college ramen. Um, yeah, no, no, and completely this was different. very different. <laughs> yeah and it was great they put like a slice of american cheese right on top and i was like this is weird and then it just melts into it gets all gooey and i was like well this is a game changer uh this is now something i love um that and of course the korean barbecue where you just go and it's just you know we called it beef and leaf um and just they just bring you out slabs of meat and you know usually some garlic and just these random i you know, every place had their different leaf that they would use, and you cook the meat right over the, right on top, like in the middle in the little hibachi grill, essentially, and, uh, you know, throw it on the leaf with some garlic and some bean paste and everything. So good. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, definitely enjoyed my time, but no, I didn't get into the, 
different sushi things or anything like that. It's just never been, not been my thing. Um, well, Justin, this has just been an awesome hour, man. I have thoroughly enjoyed not only your passion for, uh, the outdoors, the passion for just like, like, I mean, you're just describing a little bit about your own hobby farm and you're just taking the investment into your own, your own food your own sustenance that's going to fuel you and then coupling that with just your passion for the armed forces and for public lands has just been so neat. Remind my listeners again, where can they get in touch with you? Where can they find out more about uh, the armed forces initiative through BHA and how can they get involved? Uh, well, if if you're using the Google machine, uh, just type in Armed Forces Initiative. We're going to pop up. Um, if you're on Instagram, BHA underscore AFI, uh, that's going to take you right to the Instagram that I run, which is how I've got in touch with you, Nick. Um, and then if you need to get in touch with somebody with email, you know, go ahead. Uh, I, I, I'm a great one. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna bounce out whatever you say to me, uh, out to whoever it needs to go to. But if you type in AFICOM, so that's C O M M S at backcountryhunters.org, email me. I'm gonna get you in touch with the uh, person that you need to. If you just want to get involved in your state, most of our state emails are listed on our website. And if you're ever in doubt, usually it's the state initials followed by AFI. So. For Washington, it's W-A-A-F-I at backcountryhunters.org, and that'll get you to your state liaison who's going to be running events in your area. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Justin, I'm going to go ahead and hold on for just a second. I'm going to let our listeners on out. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this past hour where we just got a chance to really dive into an awesome initiative that's about to turn into a chapter. Things are happening over here at the Armed Forces Initiative. There are veterans, there are active members, there are people that protect our nation day in and day out who are needing a spot to go. They need to understand that they can use the public lands that we have across our entire nation, whether it's you know here in Michigan where it's going to be a small pocket down the road that everybody goes to, or whether it's going out to the huge expanses that are out west. There is a spot for everybody to have a chance to either pursue game, uh, wade after, and be able to hook up on some fish, or even just go look at some birds and just be out in nature to get away from it all. That is such a neat thing that's happening going on, and it just applaud the folks over here uh, from the BHA AFI taking on that challenge and helping the people that help us out the most keeping us safe let's give them a place to be able to decompress to get a little bit of that therapy and have a chance to have amazing experiences in this country so folks if you want to get involved check those links down at the bottom if you want to get uh some of that public land uh meat on your table well you'll have to head out there to get it but whether you're going to be using that knife to pull out fence or using the knife in a work setting to try and clean up an area or take out fence posts, or if it's going to make bulgogi while you're at home, make sure that blade that you're using is always sharp.